Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. Anya, what do we watch? We watched the Charlie's Angels episode, Hellride, which was the first ever episode of the show. Not the pilot, but the first episode nonetheless. What do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? It's the first episode, but it's not the pilot? What kind of wizardry is this? Can well, you explain? Ju- I'm, I just am telling you what Wikipedia is telling me. I'm looking, there's a pilot, and then there's episode number one, and then this is episode number one. Some weird... I guess the pilot's episode number zero. I don't know if the pilot was ever aired. I don't really know that much about this show aside that I watched it a few times and enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, this came out September 22nd, 
1976, and uh, I think was probably a lot of people's introduction to the angels. The angels? What kind of uh, people are these angels that you speak of? That would be really funny if it was like a touched by an angel thing, like where they're actual angels and Charlie was God. <laughs> You think that's how it was intended? Is some sort of grand yeah. religious metaphor? Yeah, big revelation theme. The angels all have eyes all over their bodies, just like in uh, the Old Testament. <laughs> and I think actually angels were supposed to look like like winged lions, kind of, in the in the original, in in the OG uh, Old Testament. But um, but wouldn't like touched by an angel if it's one of Charlie's angels be some sort of uh, soft core porn thing? <laughs> Yeah, now we're now we're getting to the steamier side of fan fiction, so I think we're gonna take wing and get out of there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this—I mean, I, I don't know—I was not, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this about me, but I wasn't alive in the '70s, so I don't really know what the show means. I just always heard about it as kind of like, oh, it's sexy lady spies, you know, and that's kind of that's well, the thrust. I was sexy lady spies, or like detectives. I mean, they're kind of spies. They're not at all like spies. What, what are you? What? Why are you taking issue with that? They pr- pretend to be people that they're not in order to get information. That's espionage. Are they like undercover detectives? Yeah, but what? Why are you? <laughs> that's like being like they're not superheroes. They're caped crusaders. So I mean, there's when you say spy, you think of like James Bond. Whatever. It's like a. It. This is not how. It's not how real detectives act. Like you would never hire a private detective and expect them to like do this it's not like how spies act either this isn't what the cia is all about i think you're or if so i'd love to join i think your quibbles <laughs> fuck you i think your quibbles are ridiculous so well i was around uh in the 70s and have uh some very vague memories of the show i was too young <laughs> I was too young to uh, respond much to the so-called jiggle TV aspect of it. But I remember enjoying reading the Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine parodies of the program. And a big source of contention that I talked about with the kids on the playground is that there uh, is an actor in this program named David Doyle, who's kind of a balding middle-aged man who plays a character named Bosley. And at the same time, there was another popular program on where, uh, which featured uh, a character named Mr. Cunningham, who was a balding middle-aged man. And that character was played by an actor named Tom Bosley. So everybody joked about how confusing that was. It was hilarious. Let me just note that, you know, this, this, this set was notoriously one of the most coked up crazy sets in Hollywood. You got all these... Ladies bouncing around, being all hot, being all sexy lady detectives. And Kevin is, young Kevin on the playground is solely fixated on the solo, balding, middle-aged male character on the show. And one of them had a secretary named Lincoln. (laughs) Was he he leaving a theater? I remember reading that the uh, Lincoln and Kennedy comparison uh, when I was when I was little, and that blew my fucking mind. What what did you what did you conclude from all of that? I was just like, oh, this is too heavy, and then I went and started reading the Boxcar Children or something. (laughs) 
what do you think of the zero year curse? Where for a number for a long time until 1980, I believe every president who was elected in a year ending with zero, his term ended in tragedy and sorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't. Even, I. This is the first I'm hearing about it. You've never heard of the zero year curse <laughs> because I was born in the 90s, so obviously it wasn't a problem anymore. Why would people talk about it? I mean, 1960. Oh, this used to be a curse. That's not interesting. Give me a current curse. Give me Y2K. <sighs> that was a snooze of a curse. <laughs> Kennedy, 1960, dad. Roosevelt, 1940, dad. Harding, 1920, dad. McKinley, 1900, dad. Garfield, 1880, dad. Lincoln, 1860, dad. Uh, was Harrison, 1840? I don't fucking know. <laughs> you majored in history. What? But I majored in a very specific history of a few years within Jamestown in in the 1600s. So we weren't even we didn't. There's no presidents. There was a weird, mysterious council back then. That's all I'm focused on. But no. So Harrison. So yeah, that that's interesting. But doesn't it kind of stand to reason that a lot of those guys I, would I think die? The, I think the curse was that uh, William Henry Harrison like pissed off the Indians or the Native Americans. Oh my god! And so they put a curse on him and on every other president who was elected in a year ending with zero. And then uh, in 1980, Reagan was shot, but he lived. And so that, that was seen as breaking the curse. No, I'm just, that's, I mean, also it's super racist to be like, you know, putting all that, you know, spiritualism, like, oh, an ancient curse on, on the Native Americans. So I think you were sold a bill of racist goods, babe. I'm sorry to say. Well, then Reagan broke the curse, so uh, it's inapplicable. Exactly. Um... So, speaking of, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. How did this even happen? I don't know. Well, the, the conversation has gone to hell, and this episode is titled Hell Ride. So, I, I think that sort of fits with the, with the theme here. Um, basically, actually, and it's sort of relevant to our lives, because the whole thing, uh, the whole theme of this episode is car racing. And Kevin and I live in Indy, right? So, that's, that's a thing here, right? That's popular with the teens around these parts. I don't care about... I almost said horse racing. <laughs> I can't even keep it straight. I don't care about car racing. If you do, awesome. You know, I'm sure that's fun. But I don't I don't know at all anything about this. So th this is a sort of an entry into a culture that I don't understand. Well, you say that, but you've been to the Indy 500 Museum. I, I have. I went to the, it's taken me a while to figure out that NASCAR and the Indy 500 are totally different things. Never the twain shall meet. What about the Brickyard? Brickyard 400. Uh, except for that. But <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, yeah, we went to the, we went to, we went to the, do you want to tell the story? Tell the story. You, okay. We went to the uh, Indy 500, you know, the Speedway for true crime reasons, basically. I'll say that. And we were in line to get tickets and to go Anya in. Anya was dressed in her finest New York reporter gear. She was doing her fast-talking Torchy Blaine impression, steps up to the counter and asks for a ticket. And what happens? Um, I asked for a ticket. And also, I was just wearing, like, business casual. So thank, thanks for the confidence boost, but you're overselling it. Um, and they look at me and... There's another group, large group in front of us, and they say, oh, like, you know, like, I, I don't even remember what they said, but they just slide us some tickets. And these tickets say something like, like FFA. You said, Kevin, what's this FFA business? And I said, well, of course, 
they mistook you, sophisticated New York reporter, as a future farmer of America. And I'm not offended because my ancestors are farmers. So I, I'm i cool with that. But I was I was baffled. And I was like, do, do we look that young? Like, <laughs> it's just so awkward. So then we have to go on this bus tour with all these kids. And we're like these weird adults in the fucking front of the... Ugh. And they're all like, look, kids, it's, you know, it's where you kiss the bricks. Look, kids, it's the stand where all the rich people sit. And they're all like, oh, my God. And I'm like, what? What have we done? I totally thought somebody was going to, like, sidle up to you and be like, so, you know, the price of soybeans per pound, right? And I'm like, <laughs> we'd have to be like, uh, uh, <laughs> what are the proper irrigation techniques for a modern cornfield? <laughs> Get thrown off the bus into the snake pit. In public service announcement time, you also got vaccinated to the Indy Yeah, so we've been to the Speedway twice, but uh, we're, we're really going off track here. <laughs> off track, no pun intended. <laughs> we, have, we have some car fun here, folks. Um, uh, fast and Furious. Fast fun. and Furious. This is the Charlie's Angels entry into the Fast and Furious uh, multiverse because basically it's the opening. And I'm going to spoiler alert for the latest Fast and Furious film. If you haven't seen it. Maybe skip ahead 30 minutes. Or, you know, just stop listening. We're idiots anyway. You're, you're doing yourself a favor here. Don't say that. <laughs> it's funny. It's self-deprecating. No, if people turn off, they'll never come back. Oh. Okay, don't don't leave us then. We're very We alone. need you. We love you. Kevin will throw me out without the podcast. So I just... Please keep listening. I, I feel like... I know I'm like doing like a Peter Pan, please clap kind of thing. But you know what I mean. You're very much like Jeb Bush. <laughs> I think that's my, I think if I were, I'm a, I'm not right wing, but I think if I were going to, personality wise, that would probably be how I acted. Because I, I, I had like, I need people's approval. I'm very anxious. I could see myself being like, please clap or just, just being my awkward self talking about turtles or something. Yeah, you're always talking about turtles. I'm always going on, you know, or, you know, some random shit like that. So this is uh, very similar to the opening to Fast and Furious 9. And that means that we're going to have an explosion on the racetrack. A lovely young woman who is a lady racer at this really run-down racetrack um, goes out one day. Uh, this mean lady named Bloody Mary bumps into her car during this race early on. And she loses control somehow and smashes into the wall and blows up dies so that's our inciting incident um that gets the plot moving one thing that i thought was kind of disturbing but a little bit funny was uh <laughs> that the guy her mechanic slash the i guess like the person she works with her like main pit stop guy is already covered in soot when he runs over to her and it's unclear how he got like that like was he taking like some sort of dust bath before he ran over <laughs> He's like already covered. Yeah, he's already covered in soot. The fire, like if you're if if the camera is basically where the fire is supposed to be, you're just watching him run in, no soot in, in sight, already sooty. And I just that left me with questions. Um, and also, the most interesting thing about this mechanic who is present at the scene of this mysterious explosion is his name is Jerry Adams. Now, do you want to elaborate? Who is that? <laughs> who is well, that gentleman? Well, you're the Irish lady. Oh, Jerry Adams. Yes. G-E-R-R-Y. I was yes. thinking Jerry like with J. 
That just sounds like a weird D-list celebrity. Jerry Adams. Well, I guess he's just bringing peace to the California racetracks. <laughs> who is this Jerry Adams we speak of? Jerry Adams. We spot who is president at the scene of this explosion. He was the president of Ireland, right? And he was uh, he was sort of an uh, an IRA figure. Yeah. But it, but a lot would say he sort of uh, mellowed out a little bit too much for that cause because he kind of was all like, we got to do the Good Friday Accords and, you know. So do you think the reason he mellowed out was his, his experience with Charlie's Angels? Yeah, he was like, no more fighting, no more no more destruction. I saw my favorite racer get blown up in front of me. We're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> That's really crazy. I didn't even pick that up. I didn't even pick that up. You're not in tune into Ireland as I am. Well, I just read Say Nothing, so I would, you know, think I would be more picking up the Jerry Adams content because he's all over that book. But Jesus. Old Jerry. (laughs) 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 Did you know that they wouldn't let him, his face or something be like, or they wouldn't let his voice or face be like broadcast on like public TV in, in Northern Ireland? So they had to like, would like do transcripts or something and somebody an actor would read them <laughs> isn't that crazy it's insane yes you know i'm not broadcast on television for the same reasons you're t- you're too hot you're too charismatic people would just be <laughs> listening to you too much it blow out the tubes on the tvs <laughs> that'd be mass chaos <laughs> the greenly groupies would assemble <laughs> oh my god so okay now that we're done, uh, you know. Oh, and we're also introduced to a suspicious blonde man. Uh, and Kev, this was Kevin's opening statement on him. Why is his shirt so, down so low? Because this man's basically V-neck goes down to his navel. And I, all I can say to you is, it's called fashion, sweetie. <laughs> Actually, no. Don't dress like this. <laughs> no one well, should dress. You dress like, like that all the time. With a V-neck down to my navel? Yes. Yeah, that would not work <laughs> for a number of reasons. <laughs> Speaking of fashion, you made a lot of comments during this on uh, the hair. Yes. I think the hair is pretty magnificent in this in this in these seventies series, but I think Charlie's Angel stands out, you know? Like listen, are, are, is it a little over the top? Is it a little tacky? Yes. But I mean the volume is impressive and I think we all have to say that if we're being honest with them ourselves. So that's all I'm gonna say. Uh, one thing I will note is that the opening has all of the the three angels uh, played by uh, Farrah Fawcett, Kate Jackson, and Jacqueline Smith um, as cops. And basically they quit being cops because they're assigned to being a meter maid, being a, an office worker, and being a crossing guard. And they all want to have more excitement than that. But in each of those shots, their hair is totally loose all over the place. So I wrote down a joke like they all, you know, maybe if they put their hair up, they wouldn't have uh, had so much trouble advancing. And then I was like, now you I... You sound s- like a middle-aged yeah, sergeant. I sound like a middle-aged sexist sergeant who... They Welcome have- to my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just holding you back. Just you're, you're a Charlie's angel. I'm just a middle-aged sexist sergeant holding you back. Wouldn't you say you're an awful lot like Jack Webb? Kevin, you're literally Jack Webb, so <laughs> shut the hell up. <laughs> You are a strange man with very specific ideas about how things should go. <laughs> yeah, I think in high school I was very much like Jack Webb. It, like I was very much like Joe Friday. I was just like, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be awkward. I'm not going to socialize normally. No one likes me. <laughs> 
people are going to make comments about me being single. That was basically my whole thing. So We're both basically Jill Friday. Yeah. You're still like Jill Friday. Fuck I'm you! I've been to therapy. Joe Friday has never been to therapy in his goddamn life. Never a dull moment. Um. So, so yeah, basically, uh, the three angels are tasked with investigating this mysterious crash. We should we should discuss how they get tasked with it. There was a scene in the 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 office where they get the assignment from their unseen boss over the phone. Yes, it is a critical, crucial scene. Why don't you describe that, Kevin? So the three angels, along with their associate Bosley, get the assignment from Charlie, who's on the phone. And in the course of this conversation, he mentions that he has a back problem. But then he says, don't worry, I'll be wrecked before you know it. And then we cut to him getting a massage from beautiful ladies. So it was a double entendre. This this series has quite a few of them, especially with Charlie's sex life. I remember you gasped when uh, he talked about becoming erect. I blushed. I said, oh, my stars and garters. Because you often boast about being a refined gentlewoman. I am a refined gentlewoman of leisure. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty naughty. But, yeah, this was definitely like a series that was definitely trying to push the sex stuff. Is that fair to say? Some of it probably seems pretty tame to our modern eyes now, but I'm sure for the time it was like, woo. It's called Jiggle TV. Jiggle TV, baby. Um, so then they get tasked with investigating this, and the accident happened at some sort of racetrack, which apparently has a race every week, and the races every week are held exclusively with female drivers. Do, do places like that exist? You're You're looking at me like I might be some sort of like secret right you know driver at one of these lady gang uh you know amateur races and I, i'm not oh you don't want to talk about that part of your life no on the show? no I, any questions about that are totally inappropriate and should be directed to my attorney <laughs> and then at one point when the character says well even if the women drivers were naked we probably couldn't get too many fans and so i wanted to ask you is there a place with exclusively Female naked drivers. And if so, how can we get tickets? Jesus Christ. You're a married man, babe. <laughs> well, that, what would that even do for you? Because they'd be going at such high rates of speed, you wouldn't even be able to see them. Oh, man, I know there's a naked woman in there. Like, you could be like, oh, look, there's a, like, we're going to lead you through the woods. There's a cabin, and I swear to God, there's a naked woman in there. Isn't that nice? Yeah, now let's turn around. <laughs> That's like saying, you see that woman across the street? Underneath her clothes, she's naked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you men are pretty horny. I could see it doing it for some of you. <laughs> so it's like the racetrack equivalent of Hooters. <laughs> and it also looks pretty run down and sleazy like Hooters because uh, you have to understand... This show has mastered the look of 70s sleaze inadvertently. I'm sure this is not what they were necessarily going for, but everywhere looks like a total fucking dump. It's like malaise baked into the fucking show. Uh, There's a scene where the bad guys, it's revealed that that lady who died in the crash was in fact murdered. Her car was tampered with. And the two bad guys who were running the game 
you know, that they, they they bumped her off in order for, you know, to keep anyone from finding out their nefarious plan. They're talking in this vestibule kind of stairwell area at the racetrack. And there's like a janitor behind them, like sweeping like empty beer cans or something. <laughs> it's like, what the or you just need to remember that this dust bowl ain't exactly Indianapolis. No, not ev- not everywhere can be old uh, old Indy. That was actually a line of dialogue in the. Uh... Nice shout out to the Circle City, uh, and also we meet the mean lady who bumped the dead lady literally into the wall. Her name is Bloody Mary. I thought she looked an awful lot like Rizzo from Greece, so that was a little weird. <laughs> you think everybody looks like Rizzo from Greece? You do, certainly. <laughs> Are you going to go on and on about things you'd never do? <laughs> I've not seen Greece since uh, its original theatrical release. <laughs> Jeez. Almost no recollection of it. You blacked out. <laughs> it's like over 40 years ago. Jesus. Um, but yeah, no, Kevin was questioning about whether, you know, why this place exists and how this business model exists. But apparently it's hemorrhaging money, as you could imagine. Like Phil Spitalmi's race cars. So one of the angels, I believe it was Kate Jackson, is going undercover there as a race car driver. And then shortly thereafter, David Doyle Bosley also shows up uh, undercover with Farrah Fawcett. And tell us about that. Yeah, that's a little true detective disturbing. They're show- they showed up as a... A father and daughter duo of race car preachers, aka Brother John's Race for the Lord, and uh, and then he immediately starts doing a very loud sermon. So he's undercover, and his first move is to attract as much attention to himself as possible in this dumb undercover role. And then also that he then makes it immediately known that oh yes, that the angel who's undercover is a driver. He knows her too. It's like all these new people show up and they all know each other. There's nothing suspicious about that, is there? No, and it's and, and it would have been bad if Kate Jackson had just been like, I'm interested in learning about the Lord. That would have been suspicious, but this is doubly like you're just basically ruining the idea of going undercover. It's like uh and, and speaking of uh bizarre human interactions, Jacqueline Smith is interviewing the dead girl's parents. They're they're just bizarre people. They're they're out in North Carolina and they're going on about how you know, they don't want to talk to her, or give her any, and she's basically like, your daughter was probably murdered. And they're like, well, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So can I, she has this conversation with them. This maybe five minutes, even including the parts we didn't see on screen. She flies from California to North Carolina to have this conversation. Couldn't it have been a phone call number one. And then number two, the angels were hired by this IRA slash mechanic, Jerry Adams, who's working at a failing racetrack. He can't be making... For Irish freedom. A nation once again. He can't be making too much money. So where is he getting the funds to support an investigation with four operatives, one of whom is flying across the country for a five-minute conversation with two people who don't want to talk to her? Now, a lot of, uh, you know, America's often accused of uh, you know, providing funds for certain groups in... In Ireland, so, you know, it's probably probably coming from that. <laughs> Some of that. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, it's like the funny thing about this story would be if he's doing something super legal on the side and the angels are just busy running around, <laughs> they don't notice it at all. Uh, but, yeah, and he's also not exactly smart with money. Earlier in the picture, earlier in the episode, he offered to... Uh, 
take instead of getting uh, compensated, he offered to work for a hamburger. So sounds a bit like a business plan you'd think up, Kevin, but I don't really know how he's uh, uh, hoarded so much wealth as to uh, obtain the services of a top group of private detectives. I mean, at best, you could say that maybe Charlie's the kind of guy who ends up owing favors to a lot of different people and y'all get your kind of Charlie card and get to say, okay, you know, come help me this one time in, in exchange for what I did for you. But otherwise, I can't think of anything. So then there's a scene where Farrah Fawcett, who's ostensibly the daughter of this evangelist, is going to risk blowing her cover by revealing she's really good at playing cards. And she wants to show she's really good at playing cards as a way to try to get some information. And so as the scene opens, she takes a deck of cards, she spreads them out, <laughs> and then she flips them all over. <gasps> then this is something, if you can't do it the very first time you open up a deck of cards, you could probably do it within five minutes of the first time you open up a deck of cards as a child. But when she does this, the music plays like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. How could this woman do this? <laughs> and the people at the table are gasping in amazement. Kevin would have been standing there with his arms full and saying, not impressed. <laughs> you take the negging approach. <laughs> Were you impressed with those, that card shuffling? I was not. I figured they'd have like a hand stunt double do something kind of cool, but it was, it was pretty lame. It was pretty, it was weak. Oh, meanwhile, um, you know, adding to some of the, the risk factor, uh, in terms of this investigation, uh, so, Early in the investigation, the Angels and Bosley all meet in uh, Bosley's traveling mobile home. <laughs> Which is pretty much right in the middle of the track. And during this meeting, uh, Jacqueline Smith, who has returned from her pointless North Carolina trip, they say, oh, what you should do now is you should try to seduce one of the bad guys and get information from him that way. So everybody agrees that's, that's a great idea. And so she pretends to have car trouble, and the guy comes and helps her, and she says, oh, no, I'll do anything to repay you. you know, what, what can I possibly do to repay you? That's what you said when we first met, when I fixed your car. <laughs> <coughs> see, it's funny when it's see, gender flipped. <laughs> so then they go in the middle of a day... To this really rundown bar that's almost empty. It looks like it smells like really stale beer, pervasive, and cigarettes. It's it's another it's another that the townhouse motel that they keep going to because that's where everyone apparently lives, and the racetrack all have this great rundown seventies vibe. That I think is hard for any other decade to capture. In film, because everything just looks like absolute shit in kind of a funny way, is, is how I would describe that vibe. And then during the course of the conversation at the bar, he basically says, why don't we go back to my room and have sex? And she says, sure, that sounds great. I got no problem with that. But we should drive around a little bit first, say about 10, 15 minutes, so I'll get in the mood. And, and then excuse me. And she gets up and she makes a phone call to her buddies saying, you know, send a cop to stop us. And so then as they're, they're driving around in this uh, four-play drive, uh, they're stopped by a police officer 
and the man tries to talk his way out of the ticket. And then uh, Jacqueline Smith speaks up and gets fiery and causes him to get a ticket. And this kind of reminded me uh, not too long ago, we were in the car together and I was stopped by a police officer. And I was very smoothly talking my way out of the ticket. You said you were very tempted to start uh, mouthing off to the officer. I was not. Te- I was tempted to tell you to stop mouthing off to the officer because you were uh, the the officer was getting increasingly angry because Kevin was not admitting to running a stop sign in a parking lot, basically, and uh, nobody, you know, because there was no traffic around. And if if a police officer stops you and says, "Oh, do you know why I stopped you?" You never say, "Yes, I know why you stopped me. I did something wrong." Because then you're making an admission. So while Kevin was doing his lawyer Jedi mind tricks, uh, the officer was becoming increasingly irate, uh, did not take it with gentle good humor. And you were tempted, you said. I was tempted to just run for it because he was like looking like he was like wanted to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> it was it was a little bit nerve wracking. So I was not going to do a Jacqueline Smith and get you arrested. I I thought you were trying to, you were you were Jacqueline Smith getting both of us arrested in that situation. Didn't you say you almost uh, tried to fall on your sword and said, "Yes, he did run the stop sign, but it was all because of me, because of my fiery conversation and sparkling words." Well, I didn't say anything, but you were yeah, you were you were more the Jacqueline Smith because you were basically like, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> did I do something so, wrong, officer? Well, if you say so, I won't argue with you, uh, but you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, he was like, "I just want to get some honesty around here." <laughs> and I was like, he said, if you just admit it, I'll let you go. It'll go a long way. I said, well, admit what? I We're mean, just what? trying to eat at Bubba, sir. <laughs> and finally, he just kind of sighed and tossed me my uh, my. And license. then we found out that later that that wasn't even really a real stop sign. <laughs> so Because apparently it was, it was written on with a crayon. <laughs> Wiley Coyote painted it. <laughs> So then he's arrested. She gets his car keys and drives to the hotel where he's staying. And then Farrah Fawcett breaks into this man's hotel room. And she has some 70s technology, which is a very tiny, discreet spy camera. But the spy camera, even though it's tiny and discreet, it sounds like a machine gun. (laughs) Whenever she takes a picture, it's like... People in the next motel room are like getting down because I think there's gunfire. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, while she's kind of uh, sneaking around, uh, the other bad guy comes in. So there's like two brunette bad guys and then a blonde bad guy with a really low cut shirt. And the other brunette bad guy comes in, takes a shower, and is whistling in the shower, which is kind of hard to do. But he's doing it pretty loudly, so that's kind of odd. Like when you get wet, it's hard to whistle, you know? Isn't that the name of your memoir? And yeah, so she she sneaks out. She gets out without getting caught. Well, kind of. Apparently, uh, she drops something because Bosley has these. Is part of his idiotic <laughs> undercover role as an evangelist. <laughs> he has these religious brochures with his fake name on them. Again, that's an expense that has to be paid for by the IRA guy. Uh, these big expensive brochures that are about the size of an old time Life magazine. Which is, you know, about the, it's really big. She, for some reason, she took one of these with her when she broke into this man's hotel room. And shockingly enough, she drops it in the closet. So the gig is up. When I break into somebody's hotel room next time, I'm going to make sure to stuff my pockets with like my insurance card and my, my various driver's license from different states and my paper driver's license, maybe a couple of, uh, 
mystery to me brochures with, with, with for some reason, only your face on the front. <laughs> Not mine. Just yours. And also our uh, home address. <laughs> and they're just going to be all spilling out as I move around. <laughs> so it's a foolproof way to operate. <laughs> I'll make sure it's a really dumb picture of you, too. There's no such thing as a dumb picture of me. Oh, yeah. I think I might have come across one or two. <laughs> It'll be two. No, even more bizarre. It'll be two pictures of you instead of one picture of me. Two different pictures of you instead of one of me and one of you. <laughs> so do one of them, am I, am, I like, am I like dressed as you? No, no. It's just two weird ones of you. <laughs> you know how to sell the show. Yeah. Show the people what they want. <laughs> You're the sizzle reel, baby. <laughs> so now that they've figured out, the bad guys have figured out that Farrah Fawcett is working against them, uh, they make a plan to have one of their bad guy confederates take Farrah Fawcett like, out in the middle of nowhere. And then while he's out there with her, a couple of the other bad guys in the distance will shoot them both dead. Now, what do you think is the logical sequence of events that if you were a bad guy planning to do that, you'd, you know, want to happen? Because these bad guys make a quite a choice, in my opinion. You tell me. Well, I would, I would do it so the blonde bad guy who I'm planning to kill kills Farrah Fawcett, or at least incapacitates her. And then I would write, sniper shoot him, which is their plan, and then sniper shoot her. Instead... While they're both talking, no no violence has happened yet. They just shoot him, and then she runs away, basically. And we were talking about good job, idiot. We were talking about the Kennedy assassination earlier. Uh, The line of dialogue that happens right before he's shot is like the most ironic line of dialogue since the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) What was that? Uh, (laughs) The governor's wife, Nellie Conley, said, "Oh, Mr. President, you can't say that Dallas doesn't love you." And then he's murdered. What happens in this episode? Uh, the guy says, uh, I sure hope you like the scenery here because it's the last thing you're ever gonna... Boom! Gunshot death. Good job, guys. Yeah, th- these bad guys, they can whistle in the shower and they can, you know, try to talk their way out of uh, arrests, but they're not very good with uh, big picture thinking at some of these some of these moves. Um then the Farrah Fawcett tries to get away. The bad guys try to chase her. And it's a very leisurely car chase. And these are like the pre-Ralph Nader days. They like try to take a little turn and somehow the car flips over. And she makes her get away. <laughs> he put his blinker on. Thing flips over and explodes. <laughs> uh, and, and I think you pointed out something that is a pretty good observation. Basically how... Uh, Oh, wait, no, sorry. You were talking about uh, the car mechanic. I guess I'm just, what, what we find what we find out at this point is that they're trying to heist uh, these two brunette bad guys and the blonde bad guy was part of this, but now they've killed him. And then Bloody Mary were part of a group that were trying to heist a bunch of industrial diamonds located nearby. And... It's, such a, it's one of those convoluted plans. I don't even remember what exactly they were how they were planning on doing this but basically using the race as a disguise to getting the diamonds over to mexico and it's just like how could you ever think this would work out there's way too much shit going on that's my that's my take 
not a very good uh, car heist, in my opinion. I mean, we've seen a lot of good car heists with the Fast and Furious franchise, so maybe we're a little bit spoiled these days. But back then, they just, this wasn't it. When your car heist plan is too boring to even recount, then that's not a good car heist. So then, like, the race starts, and these bad guys in broad daylight near a very busy road, like, go up to a fence with, like, really big uh, wire cutters and start cutting into it, and all these cars are passing behind them. That seemed like an odd plan. Yeah, it's like, let's do this, let's do this big heist in full view of the public, and, you know, anybody who would be driving by, and maybe even some of the stands, as opposed to, like, when nobody's here, which is normally... Shockingly enough, the plan gets foiled. The Charlie's Angels uh, swoop in and, uh, you know, basically uh, Kate Jackson is doing the race and she's racing for her life and Jacqueline Smith and Farrah Fawcett are on the ground kind of trying to stop the uh, the robbery. What's Bosley doing? What is Bosley doing at this point? Taking a powder, I guess. <laughs> He's at a, He's preaching. Why did he need that undercover role? Uh, Why was he even needed at all? The whole thing screams like he took an acting class and was just like, "Yeah, I'll do this," you know. I mean, what did he? I'll be add? a character. And yeah, and, and and convinces the IRA to print up those brochures. Well, I mean, what did he add? You were the kid obsessing over the man on the playground. I mean, in this case, what did him being there at the racetrack add? Yeah, and I feel like a bunch of people showing up at once with who know each other would really tip the bad guys off. You you had to bring everyone in kind of. Was he there to add, like, sex appeal for the ladies? Maybe. You know, the, the you fellas often, get... You often call me Bosley. Oh, God. The fellas get three angels. The ladies get one Bosley. And that's one enough. And that was the episode, uh... Do it. I know, no, no. I, I before we like, what did we think of this? I mean, I, I, my opinion was it was really stupid, but it was kind of fun. It wasn't dull. You you said yourself you you kind of were obsessed with it at one point. You mean when I was a kid? No, when we were watching it just now. I said I was obsessed with it. You're like this, like you're like. I think you said something to the effect of like, the show fascinated you. It's an odd show. It's, it's not dull. It, it's it's a different time and place from what we know. It doesn't make any sense. It has kind of a dream logic to it. But somehow, what do you think works about it? What 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 what's happening? Because it it almost shouldn't work, but it's actually insanely watchable. I think uh, the show sets up these three women as highly capable underdogs who were not allowed to succeed in a man's world. And then we get to see them go out into a man's world. And when given the opportunity, they're able to take down the bad guys. Yeah, that's So there's something, there's something satisfying about that. Yeah, and they're all, like, they got charisma. And it's just fun. Like, it's never, like, too dark, you know. Uh, and the cliche is it's just a jiggle show about their breasts and them being in sexy outfits. There wasn't really that much sex related to the angels in this in this one at least i can't speak for every episode and in other ones that i've watched in the past i was underwhelmed by that aspect of it you kind of come in expecting maybe it was a lot for the time period 
But to me, it's like they're just, they're wearing cute outfits. Maybe they're a bit, like, form-fitting, but, like, a lot of people would have been wearing stuff like that. They're not, and it doesn't seem to be, like, the the camera's not, like, lingering on, you know, their breasts or something. It's, I'm not saying, oh, my God, it's always tasteful and totally appropriate and good. I'm just, th- that aspect of it didn't really. But, again, maybe we're just jaded by modern TV that's become more like that. So this seems tame in comparison. After living with you, no other woman seems the least bit sexy. Aw, what a sweetie. <laughs> I've won the race for your heart. <laughs> What's your... Uh... Let the checkered flag fly. <laughs> What's your take on this? Uh, my five-star final take is that Charlie's Angels inaugural episode is fluffy as a cloud, but it's got me along for the ride. Hell ride. I say swell ride. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at Mystery to Me Podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.